Hello and welcome back to Hallowed Histories. My name is Richard Shepard. You may remember a couple of years ago we ran a strand of ghost stories for Christmas, and each week a different author from East Anglin area would come in and read their work. And I'm delighted to say that for this year we're doing that again. Now on to today's story, and it's an author who featured in our first strand of ghost stories for Christmas, Johnny Raspin. Johnny Raspin is a Norwich-born writer who is very much influenced by the likes of H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe. Johnny's work endeavours to make the spiritual interact with scientific reason, forcing them to battle in order to create instability and unease within his writing. To that extent, popular certainties are subverted in order to incite fear in his characters and hopefully his readers, and tonight, his listeners. We love working with Johnny. He's a born storyteller, as you can tell from his performance, and tonight he'll be reading his story, The Numinist Experience. My name is Johnny Raspin, and this is The Numinous Experience. Every ten-foot cube room was locked down at nine o'clock. The lights automatically turned off and the general hubbub that conspired between neighbours ceased. If you were lucky, you'd be assigned a room next to someone who made little to no noise. But if you were unfortunate enough to be placed next to an individual whose particular ailment resulted in a cacophony of shrieks and moans, then the peace of sleep was rendered a fantasy. It was the largest hospital of its kind, fitted out with 200 rooms that were continuously being replenished with sick young people. The rooms were painted a creamy white and were fitted with a ceramic toilet and wash basin. The floors were covered with a pale birch linoleum and every room was assigned an identical single bed which was pushed up against the back wall. The bed was composed of a foam mattress, plain white sheets and a sturdy white metal frame that was purpose-built to not be tampered with. The doors to each room were grey steel and had a single elongated window on the left-hand side above the door handle. The glass of said windows was frosted and reinforced with wire mesh that ran between thick double glazing. A sterile smell filled the air. This was a result of the rooms being checked and cleaned on a regular basis. A quick and easy task by all accounts, because the rooms were practically empty for the safety of the patients. A small square barred window was situated on the back wall above the bed. It was too high up for anyone to reach, and so could not be utilised for any kind of mischief. Generally, there was a sense of camaraderie amongst the patients. They were all admitted to the hospital for various reasons, some more severe than others, but regardless of the details, there was rarely any outbursts. Some of them felt quite at home and were happy to remain at the hospital, whilst others were eager to leave as soon as possible. The boy who dwelled in room 14 would fit into the latter category of patients. The walls of the hospital may as well have been made from paper, considering the amount of noise that passed through them. The boy was terrified of his neighbour, who was situated in an adjoining room. The howls were penetrating. Night after night, the boy would lay in his bed, praying that the shrieks would stop. But they never did. After a while of being submersed in the noise, it became difficult to define whether the sounds were indeed coming from the neighbour's room, or whether they were actually within his own. Were there even walls at all? 
It was awfully disorientating. He would sometimes muster the courage to sit up in his bed and stare out into the darkness. But the problem with this act of bravery was that if his mind was already under the influence of fear, then the gloom of the night would do nothing but create images to accompany the dreadful sounds. The boy would then become stricken under his covers as his imaginings drew closer and the noises grew louder. He would tell himself that it was not real and that he was safe. He would attempt to humanise the situation. It's my crazy neighbour, wailing like an animal. But this did not stop the noises. It did little to stop the anxiety pushing down harder and harder upon him. It did not stop the ghosts who were created and defined by the noises. They were conquering logic and creeping closer and closer until... Edward, are you okay? The voice travelled through the night. It gave Edward the assurance he needed to pull down the covers and see the shadowy figure that stood in the doorway of his room, his frame illuminated by the hallway lights. You were screaming. I don't like the noises he makes, Edward said. The orderly turned on the lights and within moments the neighbour's shrieks seemed to become subdued, still present, but subdued. I thought we talked about this. You have to remember that Charles is very sick. He can't help making noises. The orderly walked towards Edward and perched on the side of his bed. I don't like it when he screams. It scares me, Edward persisted. Well, why do you think it scares you? The orderly asked. I don't know. It just does. He sounds like he wants to kill someone. Edward sat up in his bed. Charles has never hurt anyone in his life, Edward. He can't even get out of bed. He could have fooled me. Okay, so it's safe to say that you're scared that Charles might hurt you. Yeah, I guess so. What do you think a young man who can't get out of bed is going to be able to do to you? The orderly continued. He could hit me. Right, okay. He could bite me. Yes, I suppose he could. He could fall on me. The orderly began to laugh. Edward, everything you have just said is impossible. Charles would have to become a different person altogether for him to cause you harm. I guess you're right. Edward began to feel embarrassed. So let's just imagine that this new version of Charles somehow finds a way to escape the straps that hold him to his bed becomes a master lockpicker and breaks out of his room, makes his way towards your room, breaks in without anybody noticing, and then... Kills me! Edward shrieked. My point is, Edward, that there is no possible way that any of that can happen. You must always try and live in reality, and the reality is that nothing bad is going to happen to you. At least nothing concerning Charles. It's just not possible. That being said, I do understand how Charles's screams can be a bit scary. So I can talk to the doctor, and I'm sure he can give you something to help you sleep. Why can't he just stop screaming? Because he's sick, Edward, and that's one of his symptoms. We all do things that other people don't understand. Charles's thing just happens to be a little more loud, that's all. He's no different to you or me, not really. What you have to do when you get scared is think about how there is absolutely no way any harm can come to you. 
That is the truth. You can only be scared of something that could happen, and Charles hurting you is not one of those things. Do you understand? He really can't hurt me? Edward asked. He really can't hurt you, the orderly assured. Okay, I, I believe you. Good. Now try and get some sleep. The orderly rubbed Edward's head and then left the room, closing the door behind him. Edward was once again submerged in darkness. He closed his eyes and heard the orderly enter Charles's room. How you doing, Charles? Loud as ever? The orderly's voice brought Edward comfort as he pondered everything that had been said to him. Once more, Charles's screams became strikingly present, but Edward did what the orderly had told him. Charles can't hurt me. It's impossible. And that's the truth. Edward drifted into sleep, secure within the fact that he could not be scared of someone that could cause him no harm. After all that the orderly had said to Edward, the screaming stopped within a week. There's only so much screaming a person can do. And Charles breached the limits, causing him to forever fall asleep. The nights that followed were glorious. Edward felt as though he was being reunited with a long-lost friend, as the silence bestowed upon him the soundest night's sleep that he could remember ever having. Even the orderlies and the doctor commented on the improvements that Edward was exhibiting. You keep going like this, Edward, and you'll be out here in no time, the orderly said. You think? Well, of course, this hospital is for sick people. If you're no longer sick, then you don't need to be here. It was true that Edward was getting better. The rehabilitating work that he had undergone was helping him get a firmer grip on his anxieties and paranoia. Talking through and understanding what it was about the world that terrified him helped him overcome it. The doctor described it in, in simple metaphorical terms. When a child gets a new pet, let's say in this case, a dog, imagine at first this child being scared of the dog because he thinks it is going to bite him. In fact, he's so scared he won't go anywhere near the dog. Well, you were this child when you first came to us, Edward, and the world was the dog. Edward nodded. But once the child knows that the dog won't cause him harm, this can be through his parents explaining to him more about the dog. He begins to play with it, and they become friends. We've talked quite a lot about what scares you. But do you feel that your time with us has helped you work through these problems? Edward looked at the ceiling pensively for a, for a few moments before answering. Yes, Doctor. I feel much better, thank you. Does this mean that I can go home? Can I go home soon? I believe it does. But only if you come back and visit me twice a week for a little chat. I think that will, that will help you keep on top of things. Okay, Edward nodded. I shall have one of the orderlies sort out your release papers. You should be out of here in the next couple of days. The room next door remained empty after Charles left. And that was the way Edward liked it. Quiet. Not that it particularly mattered anymore, because this was going to be the last night that he would be a sojourner at the hospital. The moon was bright. Its rays shone through the barred window and filled the room with the night's radiance. 
The shadow of the bars were imprinted on the floor. They ran at a right angle to a midway point up the door. Edward tossed and turned. He spent some time on his back and some time on his side, staring at the shadow of the bars, wondering how something quite small could have such a large shadow. Beginning to imagine that the moon held some kind of magical power, he turned onto his back and pushed his hand into the path of the beams. It too became enlarged on the floor. I am giant Edward, he whispered in a low voice. After staring at the ceiling and the floor for what seemed to be hours, Edward reached the conclusion that he was too excited to sleep. More time passed, and then somewhere down the corridor, out of the silence, came whistling. It must have been one of the orderlies on their night shift. In the semi-darkness, the unrecognised tune was unsettling causing Edward to pull the covers up to his nose as he listened. The sound became louder as the whistler approached. Within moments, it was close enough to be distinguishable. Three elongated notes bled into each other. The first low, the second high, the third mid, all sinisterly minor. The sound was now outside Edward's door and was accompanied by the rattling of keys. It's just the orderly, Edward thought. A key scraped into the lock. It twisted and turned, and a few rattles later the door was opened. In came the orderly. His white clothes were luminous in the moonlight. Right up to his neck they shone, but his face was just out of reach of the moon's rays and therefore remained shrouded. A feeling of unfamiliarity began to move through Edward as he took in the figure. Although his face was not visible, two claw-like hands immediately indicated that this was not his usual orderly. Long grey fingers with protruding knuckles stretched outwards from meatless bases. The nails looked thick, sharp and clear. And as the fingers flexed, Edward could swear that the claws grew in length. He quickly closed the door behind him and stood facing Edward, whistling. Who are you? What do you want? Edward timidly asked. The whistling stopped. We don't want you to leave, Edward. We didn't want Charles to leave either. We had to make sure he would never leave us. The voice was not familiar. It did not belong to any orderly that he knew or any other worker that he had encountered. What? Why? Why don't you want me to go home? We like the... He began to move slowly forward. Screams. Edward whipped the covers over his face. He did not know what to do except plead for the stranger to leave. Go away! Go away! He whimpered from underneath his protection. Don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. You have to help us. Don't 
don't scream. He loves it when you scream. He's a monster. The voices interrupted each other, boys and girls all pleading in whispers to Edward. He peeked over the sheets to try and locate the children, but they were not there. Only the orderly was present and he was moving ever closer to the bed. Half of his face was now visible in the moonlight. A smooth surface of colourless skin was present where his mouth should have been. The pair of claws were still dangling down by the side of his legs, but now two moist palms were facing Edward. He'll take you ice cream. The skin of both palms spread apart, revealing two toothless mouths from which flowed the pleas of the children. If you scream, I'll never go away. Edward flung the cover back over his face, clenched his eyes shut and covered his ears. The monster was now standing over the bed, his legs pushed up against the side of the mattress as he examined his cocooned, terrified prey. You must escape! Run! Wrapping his arms around his head did little to keep out the voices. The fear that gripped Edward was like nothing he had ever felt before. The little rationale he had obtained by being at the hospital was useless now. Nothing could prepare him for this. The disgusting claws were hovering around Edward's head. He could feel their breath through the sheet. Go! Completely overwhelmed, he began to scream. The sheet was ripped away and Edward saw nothing but the gaping mouths being held inches from his own. His screaming increased and was now accompanied by the hurried gulping of the monster's mouths. They were feeding. Two orderlies burst into the room and ran towards Edward, who was lashing out violently at the air. Edward, calm down, one of them shouted. Stay away from me, get away! Edward struck out at him before turning in his bed in order to utilise his legs to push the men away. What is the meaning of this? The doctor appeared. Stay away from me! The orderlies reported what had happened, how they had found Edward screaming in his bed, and that when they had tried to approach him, how he attempted to, to attack them. Where is he? Edward screamed. Where is who, Edward? The doctor replied. The monster! He was right here! The doctor rubbed his eyes and sighed. There is no one here, Edward. What? No. He was right here. Oh, Edward. You were making such good progress. No, please, you have to believe me. The doctor turned to the orderlies. Please restrain him. No, please. Night after night, Edward was visited. Firstly by the monster, and then by the real orderlies. The encounters were ceaseless. Over and over again, Edward was pushed beyond what could be explained. Eventually, he became permanently bound to his bed and was very rarely visited by the orderlies during the night, left alone with the monster and his screams. His pleas to the doctors fell on death ears, and their sessions finally stopped due to Edward's singular fixation on the monster that only he could see. Edward was slowly swallowed by a new reality, one that could not be protected by the dictates of the hospital's logic, one that knew that not believing in the supernatural was the irrational option. No one would help him. No one believed him. But as the sun fell from the sky, as the hospital was immersed into the night, Edward 
was once again met by something that would forever remain outside man's scope of understanding. What would become of him? What could become of him? It was too much. It was not manageable or conquerable. So the screams came. Screams that fed the monster and eventually drove Edward mad. The last sane thought that he clung to was that he, and only he, knew the truth as to why Charles ceaselessly screamed. Hallowed Histories is part of the Interdisciplinary Institute for the Humanities at the University of East Anglia and works in partnership with the East Anglian Film Archive, Eggbox Publishing, Boiler House Press, the Norfolk Heritage Centre and the National Centre for Writing. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram and our new YouTube channel.